This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, business storytellers, how's it going? Christoph Trapp here, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Uh, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. And today, uh, we're also live on, uh, I don't know how many channels this even is, Periscope, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Uh, that might not be working, but it looks like it's trying, and LinkedIn. So please connect if you want to listen to these live streams. Uh, the, the Basically, we're recording the podcast, but we're also sharing it in the moment. And why not? We're using Switcher Studio, uh, really a nice tool to do that. Uh, Trap One gets you one month off if you want to give that a try. Certainly a, a nice tool to do and then uh, to, to produce it and then restream to distribute it. Today, let's talk about freelancing. Uh, how, what do you have to think about? How do you work together? How do you move forward? So today, uh, one of my, my guests, the guest today is Sarah Townsend. We'll bring her on here in a second. And I just want to reiterate how awesome it is to find guests like Sarah because uh, we connected on LinkedIn or Twitter. She said something really smart and I thought, I've got to bring her on the show. We have to talk about this topic so much better than getting cold pitches, asking me to asking to come on the show and say, hey, can I talk about storytelling on your show? And I'm like, no, we've already covered that topic. So always good to connect with real experts out there. Sarah, how's it going today? Hey there. Yeah, it's going well. Thank you. Yeah, good start to the day. It's a little bit later in the day for me than it is for you, I understand. And tell us, where are you located? I am in Gloucestershire, uh, which is in the heart of the Cotswolds in England, in the UK. Fantastic. And of course, I'm in the Midwest of the US. Absolutely correct. It is 6.07 a.m. as we're live streaming here, but that's okay. That's all right. That's what we do when we have great topics. So you, of course, uh, published the book Survival Skills for um, Freelancers. Talk about um, what prompted you to write the book and, and, and what are some of the key takeaways? Well, where do you want to start? I <laughs> have been a freelance marketing copywriter myself for 20, this is my 21st year. And I got to this stage where I just felt I wanted to um, I wanted to give something back to the freelance community. So I hadn't um, I hadn't actually been um, yeah, sorry. So I when I started when I first started twenty odd years ago, I um, didn't have any. There was no social media. There was barely any internet. And to be honest, it was very difficult to find the right information that you need about working for yourself back then. Um, now it's completely different. There are so many different um, channels and support groups and the social media. We can all um, connect on there and grow our networks that way. So I wanted to share the things that I had learned through my own 20-year freelance journey and share them in a way that 29-year-old me all those years ago would have really appreciated um, all the things that I, I didn't know then that I know now. That's always so great to hear and of course that's 
one reason I wrote my book, right, to share everything that um, that I've learned how how to how to do. And but writing a book, of course, we make money, but it's also about giving knowledge back, right, to an extent. Because let's be honest, yeah. most of us don't become millionaires by um, writing books or marketing books. Um, so how, did that play into your into your decision at all? Like, I mean, it sounds like you're giving back to the community to an extent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I always say you. I, I don't think you do write a book to make money, um, like mm-hmm. you say. And I think um, having, uh, yeah, like I, I basically gave myself permission to um, take the whole of January to um, write my first draft of the manuscript. And um, I'm never my day rates pretty high, as you can imagine, after 20 years of experience. So um, I'm never going to make back a month's money in sales of the book. For me, it is about getting the message of the, the sometimes the softer side of freelancing, as well as the practical strategies and tips and support that are available through the book. I also talk a lot about why it's important to protect your own energy and to um, focus on your well-being and your mental health and not to neglect those really important factors. So, yeah, I'm very much now about kind of wanting to help perhaps a new generation of freelancers, as well as um, I've had an incredible number of reviews from people who are experienced at self-employment, even had a a couple of reviews from people who've been self-employed for 20-odd years. And that, that just really surprised me. Fantastic. So when you talk about uh, well-being, thinking about your own health, talk about that a little bit. I mean, there's certainly, I know there's a lot of pressure. Everybody wants everything today. Uh, You know, Mm. Sarah, can I get that 1500 word draft by uh, 8.30 my time? Is that possible? Um, But (laughs) I I haven't signed my contract, by the way, yet. Um, (laughs) Sound familiar? (laughs) Yep, (laughs) just a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Just a bit. So what do you talk yeah. about? What, what do you what do you mean when you say take care of your uh, your health and, and stay, uh, you know, keep things moving forward? Like, how, how do people do that? I mean, I I'm kind of a I don't know if that's even an example that you were thinking about when you said that. But that that's what came to my mind. Right. People mm-hmm. putting pressure on you. Hey, let's get this done now. Now, 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 now. Why is it yeah. not done? It only takes me two minutes to to read that article. Why does it take longer to write? Well, it's, a, you know, different. But. But how, let's dive into that a little bit. How do people do that? And what are some of the examples uh, that happen? Well, yeah, like you say, there, there, there's a lot of um, pressure out there at the moment with the, the kind of that hustle message. You know, you always have to be busy, busy, busy. But what that doesn't um, take account of is the fact that there are only so many hours in the day. When you're self-employed, there is an enormous amount of pressure to be your own marketer, your own salesperson, your own accountant, your own life coach, blah, blah. Um, But um, actually, if you are trying to do everything yourself, and there is a whole chapter in the book dedicated to why you shouldn't be trying to do that, it is after. After all, I think the fast train to burn. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to establish good, healthy boundaries and a good work-life balance. I know that um, it's quite an elusive concept, isn't it? But um, yeah, certainly 
things like making sure you take breaks during your day, learning when to say no, um, accepting that uh, you might need to increase your rates and kind of be a bit more confident with what you charge. Um, and it's very easy to go from employment to self-employment and find that you've got off one treadmill and onto another. And that's that's what I'm trying to encourage people to avoid. One treadmill to another. That is definitely a problem and we're not runners for sure. Um, yeah. So in, interesting, a couple tips that I've used is um, I really only send email twice a day now, 8 a.m. in the morning and then 1 p.m. in the afternoon, you know, and so yeah. it's scheduled. So if you get me at 3 p.m. the previous day and if it's not urgent, like had you emailed me at 3 p.m. for today's show, I would just reply, right? But if you're emailing me to say, hey, um, the show in three weeks, um, blah, 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 I wouldn't reply right away. I would reply, I would mm-hmm. write it, schedule it, uh, 3 p- um, 8 a.m., right? And then 1 p.m. Yeah. is the next time. And that has really helped because what has happened is few people do that. And what a lot of people do is, so when I send emails at 8 a.m. automatically, between 8 a.m. and 8.30, basically everybody replies, because everybody's on their phone or their computer. And it's like, so I, I already got my replies out of the way, right? And then I don't reply until one. Um, and that has really helped. The other thing that has helped is, and I, I, it's so funny because two years ago, I would have told you, Sarah, this is the craziest thing ever. It's so great to always be connected. But I do believe having two phones, quite frankly, or not having all your work email on um, mm. on the one phone. And I know sometimes, you know, you always want to respond right away. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you respond tomorrow or, or a little later, you know, not Sunday morning at 4 a.m., um, you're probably not going to lose the deal. Or if you lose the deal because you didn't respond at 4 a.m., you probably didn't want to work with them anyways. Oh, that is so true. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, the, your tip about the email is, is something that I echo, actually. I always recommend that email away messages aren't just for holidays and time out. Um, if you use a carefully crafted email autoresponder and you tell your clients you only read and respond to your emails a couple of times a day, it, 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 it's, a, it's a win-win. So it's giving you control back of your own day and your own time. It's freeing you up headspace, but it also confirms to the client that you've received their email. And yeah, they may have to wait a little bit longer to get a response from you, But they also know at the same time that when you're working for them, you're not going to be pulled off task every few moments by having to reply to other clients. You can actually properly focus um, on the task in hand, which is the work for them. So, of course, we had Ashley Cummings on the show, still one of the highest performing podcasts on her research on on freelance writing rates, which a great discussion, the the three different ways people want to pay writers. and um, now, where was I going with this? Um, I don't even remember now. Um, <laughs> um, I'm about the time. <laughs> it wasn't even about rates, but the rates thing is always interesting um, for sure. Oh, so, so her report also talked about um, how many clients a freelancer has at one time. And what are your tips? Like, what's a good number of, I know you talked about the rates and I oh, agree no. with that. You can't be too low. I mean, I had, you know, when somebody calls me and says, hey, can you do this for $25? Uh, no, <laughs> you know, like literally. Um, yeah. So how many, so that's one reason why you also want to have decent rates, right? So you don't have, 
89 was, clients. But how do you, how many clients, what's the right number to work with? I don't think there is a right number that that's a kind of cookie cutter approach. I think it very much varies according to what your own personal capacity is. Um, for example, you might find, um, I, I think the, the issue that you want to avoid is going from having one boss in employment to suddenly you're working for yourself and all of your clients become mini bosses. I think it's really important to educate your clients in terms of um, what your boundaries are. You know, mm -hmm. you will reply to emails a couple of times a day. Um, you're not always on hand at the drop of a hat. Unless you're actually working on a project for them, there are always exceptions. But um, I think definitely in terms of, um, I've forgotten where I was going now with that, but um, you don't want to end up with your clients being lots and lots of mini bosses who've all kind of, they all want a piece of you and they're controlling your day. Because I think the most important thing is to remember is that the idea of being your own boss, mm -hmm. you don't want to empower your clients to be lots and lots of mini bosses. You want to remember you are in control and if you're not in control change a few things and and make sure that uh that you prioritize your own space your own headspace um yeah and and, and take control back yeah uh, mini bosses definitely <laughs> definitely something uh the other thing you know when um uh, we had a show with Chris Kraft on how to communicate on slack and i hate i hate email i think email is terrible quite frankly mm -hmm. Uh, I think it has too much baggage to begin with. And he made the point, you know, you could always use Slack. So if you have a project that's ongoing, why not set mm -hmm. up a Slack channel and just talk on there, right? When you're actively working on it, not all the time, but, uh, you know, depending on what the project is. Have you done anything like that before? Do do like a Slack channel with clients or? No, do you know what? I, I'm a little bit the opposite from you in terms okay. of I, I prefer to keep things on email just because everything's in one place. I find um, I am part of a, a um, I am on Slack. Um, have I used it? Not a lot. Um, so there's a big thriving copywriters community um, mm -hmm. with a Slack channel. And um, a, a lot of my copywriter colleagues said, oh, you must get on there. But as it is, I get messages through, um, I have a couple of clients will WhatsApp me. Uh, I get messages through LinkedIn, through Twitter, occasional through Facebook Messenger, and actually keeping track of all those different channels. Where, I mean, when I was writing the book, I quote over a hundred other freelancers and actually at the end going back and trying to confirm I had everybody's permission to use their quotes when I had some on some through Instagram direct messages mm. some through LinkedIn some through email was just a logistical nightmare so yeah yeah I I am I know what you mean about the baggage I uh, yeah I hear what you're saying but um I prefer to keep things in one place where possible yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I'm, uh, seriously whatsapp instagram i i've done that myself you know people message me and and i wonder what did i even get that message but um i don't, I don't know yeah. the answer maybe email is the answer um but something unified uh how have you seen you you mentioned the a group like almost a group on on um uh, on slack and we had yeah. uh, we had a show with eddie garrison and and i i think i've asked that question when kathy mcphillips was on mark schaefer was on uh, we asked that same question. I, as a consumer, I'm truly opposed to groups right now. 
And the reason is because most of them just blow, right? They just suck. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can mm-hmm. say that on here. And um, because somebody goes off on some tangent, somebody doesn't read what you said, or they don't understand what you meant. And it's like, there's always some big debate about some stupid little thing. Do you know what I mean? Have you had mm-hmm. that experience or have you had positive experiences in groups? Well, do you know what? I, I often get into this sort of discussion with people and I, I think I'm very, I, I know I have to protect my own energy because I too easily um, take the weight of the world on my shoulders. That's just, that's just how I am. So I, if I notice that something is spiraling out of control, I'll just step the heck away from it. Um, it's, but it's a little bit like, to me, a lot of people say, oh, I don't like LinkedIn. There are too many people on there. Oh, me, me, me. And I don't like Twitter because there's too much negativity, too much mm-hmm. politics, too many haters. But I think with any social media, you get the Experience that you curate for yourself. So if you, even if you follow, say, 10,000 people, curate the people whose content inspires you and um, energizes you and you find fascinating and you want to retweet and you learn from into a list and make that your Twitter experience. So, um, yeah, possibly slightly off tangent, but, but kind of related, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I do the same thing. I, I got, we got to protect our energy. And that's kind of what it comes down to, right? If you're working with a company or working or a company works with you, how do you channel your energy correctly? And, and certainly, um, you know, one way you don't do that is by getting into a heated debate on social media, which doesn't mm-hmm. change anybody's opinion or anybody's mind. And I have uh, noticed that too. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, uh, I think a lot of people, they don't... Um, they, maybe they don't think before they write, or at the very least, they don't proofread before they publish, right? And, yeah. and it doesn't come across the way something comes across, like when you write. I mean, I, when we set up the, the live stream, Sarah, you wrote back something like, um, if you have the technology, I have the nerf, or something like that. Yeah. And right, I mean, it was like, right, that, that was my response. It was like, huh, that's, you know, cool response. But a lot of times, people, you don't you don't understand, like, you don't even get what they're saying, or they their tone, right, isn't deliberate, like when writers share what they're trying to say. So I've noticed that. The one thing I want to get into is, you, you kind of hinted at it earlier, is how you work with clients. And, and I actually, I had a project, and um, even before it was signed, uh, I, I, I looked at my wife and I said, this will be a great project, this will be a great client. And she says, mm-hmm. how do you know? And I said, because they're already are collaborating, right? They're not just they're not just doing a drive-by and they're not just saying, here's what we want, please deliver by this date. They said, what do you think about this? What, do you, what about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. And I actually, I updated the, the contract to an extent saying, um, here's the initial idea. We can keep evolving it, you know, as we move forward, all the way up to production start, right? So once we start producing it, we don't, we don't get to change it anymore. I mean, we can edit it but we can't change the whole thing. Um, I mean, how do you look for good clients? I mean, not everybody's a good client, right, to work with, and and how are you a good client? So true. Um, Yeah, this is another thing I feel really strongly about, and there's a whole chapter on learning to recognize the right clients and the sorts of things that you should look out for, the kind of red flags, Uh, that are warning you of the things that you really don't want in a client. And I'm very um, 
I'm very sort of outspoken on the need to um, recognize fit. I think when you run a business, anybody in any field, when you run a business, you don't necessarily fit with all clients. And the weird, the world would be a weird place if you did. So um, listen to your gut. And I, I think you almost always know when there's something not quite right. It's perhaps their values are out of tune with yours or they're treating you too much as a supplier. I like to work in a partnership with my clients and I like to work with people who really value the skills that I bring to the table and um, and sort of they're prepared for me to be a challenger and, and not be a yes person. I, I always warn people at the start of any project, if you're looking for a yes person, that is not me. I'm very direct sometimes. If I think they're taking the wrong approach, I will um, explain to them a better way of doing it. So, um, yeah, I, I do say tune into your gut and do not be afraid to say no. If you get that sense that the client just, you know, you perhaps get an uncomfortable feeling when you get a phone call from them, you're sort of dreading replying to their emails. I think recognize the energy and go with the energy. And how do you what are some red flags? How do you know? I mean, it's and, and then, of course, on the other hand, you have people who. Uh, who will turn things on you, right? I mean, I'll give you an example. This was not even somebody hiring me, but I was hiring a contractor and it really didn't feel right, you know, but but you don't know. Sometimes you don't know. Like, it was weird how they just handle things. And I finally called him. I said, well, aren't we doing this? Aren't we doing that? Isn't that the next step? That's what you mentioned. And so at some point, they, they um, I, I was ready to just move on. But then they said, mm. well, I've done this for a long time. And I have a feeling I don't think this will be a good fit. And I'm like, uh, like, that's that's like I'm, you know, I'm dumping my girlfriend and she knows it's coming and she turns around and says, oh, sorry, it's not working. Bye. Like, I literally was yeah. just going to do that. So uh, how, how do you what? Are, I mean, that's certainly a red flag and we weren't going to go with them anyways. Right. But but how do you know? Is it truly just a gut feeling? And how do you sometimes gut feelings are hard because, you know, you're in the this is how you do it. That's how, you know, you're talking to people. They, they, they want to work with you. You want to work with you want to work with people because at the end of the day, you have to have clients. Right. And a business yeah. uh, needs the help. So how do you like what are your tips? Like, how do you learn that? Or what are some of the the red flags that people can pay attention to? Yeah, that that is such a good that's such a good question. I do think that it is something that comes with experience. Um, I do think I, perhaps it's not the recognizing, perhaps it's the learning to trust that comes with experience. But um, certainly over the years, I've had just that uncomfortable feeling and thought, oh, you know, they that they, they 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 feel like they're trying to put things on me that actually that's their responsibility. That's not part of my remit. But then. I think a lot of these things you can turn back on yourself because perhaps back then I didn't make it clear enough what my remit was and what I was prepared to take responsibility for. So I think um, the things that I already mentioned in terms of if you just get that feeling that, you know, they're going to be difficult in terms of they're not providing the information that you've requested, they're taking a lot, you know, 
if a client wants to work with me, I invoice them 50% deposit. And um, if they're hesitant paying the deposit and you just get a sense or they're like, you know, oh, this is more expensive than we were expecting it to be. Okay, well, that is the rate. You know, if you don't want to pay it, that, that's fine. I can recommend a copywriter who may be slightly cheaper. Um, but I, I really think that, that it's a kind of universal truth that if you go with the clients who want to haggle and who don't respect the fact that your rate is your rate, then um, it's just a recipe for disaster because they then feel like they've got some sort of upper hand. I don't want to work with people like that. I want to work with people on a level playing field. I'm for them, they're for me. You know, we support one another. That's how it is. I want to be part of an extended marketing team. Um, and, and if they're sort of their initial messages or phone calls or whatever are um, raising those kind of tenuous red flags I do tune into my gut now and and usually suggest that I can recommend someone who is a better fit and certainly if they're not going to pay the 50 or whatever percent deposit they're not going to pay the full fee anyways right or they're going to hold it over your head down the road Um, that's I was going to ask you about that how about payment and of course that's one model right you have a deposit uh, depending on yeah. what the dollar figure is, I mean, I've done like it's just a whole amount. Like I'm not going to send you two invoices for a smaller project, right? Just uh, mm-hmm. you pay yeah. when we get started. Uh, some people do that. Some people uh, haggle over that, but but certainly the uh, you have to pay something up front. Uh, there's also mm-hmm. I've seen a little bit of a tendency out there. Um, you know, I mean, I get emails all the time. People wanting to test drive or test something or whatever. Oh. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, can we, uh, yeah. can we, can we test your blog? Can we test your podcast? Can we test your, mm. I'm like, you, you, you can, but here's the fee. And like, oh no, no, test it for free. Uh, yeah. You know, your services for free. I mean, you get, you, you get that too, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. It's a hard no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I think when you're very, very early stages, perhaps setting up as a freelancer or a self-employed small business, I think sometimes you perhaps have to put yourself out there and particularly if it's not a field that you have experience in as an employed person, um, maybe you might have to consider that sort of thing, perhaps skill swaps and I mean, I still do skill swaps. To, don't don't kind of um, knock those. But um, yeah, certainly in terms of um in terms of being asked for, oh, you know, would you consider writing a test piece for our blog? Yes, and this is the fee, same as you. Um, yeah, I, I don't work for free and I don't think anybody should. I, you wouldn't ask your dentist or your mechanic or your decorator to work free, so why should you? Right, uh, that's, ex- <laughs> that's exactly correct. I, I, I don't know, I think that's, a, that's good advice, you know, if you need um, uh, uh, skills in one area or another, you might consider it. I typically, I look at it like uh, guest blogging, right? I mm. mean, for the last few years, I mean, some people say, well, you should guest blog, you should guest blog. And I always said, nah, not really. Um, I don't want to. I'm going to focus here on my own land and build that. And I've done that. And that's yeah. that's been grown. And I have done guest blogs or guest articles, guest posts, you know, in, in, in recent history. Yes. Like I had, I had something on the Content Marketing Institute and, and places like that. But I didn't focus my energy there because I thought my energy, as you mentioned earlier, going back to, you know, how do you focus your energy is better served to building my own site, building my own 
uh, knowledge. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think guest blogs can, you know, if you have a particular market that you want to be more visible in, then if you know that a particular site um, is is very good in terms of um, credibility and sharing, uh, then yeah, maybe have a, I literally have a, a kind of bucket list of the publications I wanted to get quoted mm -hmm. in, um, talking about issues um, around mental health and well-being for freelancers and how to kind of avoid stress and burnout. And um, I had like a massive win yesterday. I actually got quoted in Forbes, which which was mad um so doing that kind of thing you know helping a journalist out with a quote if it's for a publication that you're you're really keen to be seen in then yeah fantastic yeah. what what's not to love um but yeah and, and kind of think of the backlinks and the um the possibilities of cross promotion so i've now linked uh any guest blogs i do do i link on my own website on a press and podcast page, um, which this will appear on as well. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of working in ways that work for both of you. I, and I do agree with that. Every time a journalist called or reaches out, I'm always available. Here's, you know, here's my comment. Hopefully they use it. Um, yeah. And I, I, I do the same thing. We actually had a podcast episode on why you need to create a media page on your website. Now, if you don't have much media exposure yet, you know, it's going to look a little empty. But I have the same thing on my, my page. Every time I get quoted or even just in passing, I was on the, like the, the Marketing O'Clock podcast. They mentioned me the other day. And it was really, truly in passing, like about Amazon Music podcast. But I still link to it, right? And because I was still mentioned, yeah. they mentioned my name and they mentioned what I said. So um, always, uh, I always do that. I, I totally think that's a good idea. How about... Yeah. Um, agreements so I, I know this is not a new problem <laughs> necessarily yeah. but i've seen that all the time uh even in the agency world right like people want to move mm -hmm. forward let's go let's go let's go but the agreement isn't even done um right mm -hmm. like we're not mm -hmm. even it's not even signed and and i know some agreements are terrible they're a gazillion pages long um but i you know i my agreements are pretty pretty short um so what's your tip on do work before the agreement is signed or maybe even before the deposit is uh, is um, in, like you're holding your <laughs> fingers crossed or how do you handle those situations? No, I think, uh, I think it is just a question of um, being, again, educating the client. I mean, the way I work is just as valid to, to me as the way the client works. Mm -hmm. So yes, where possible, I fit in and and help them meet their deadlines. Never missed a deadline in 20 odd years. I really hope nobody can prove me wrong on that. Um, <laughs> but I, I certainly say, you know, if I, what I do when I um, send my clients a proposal, I say, look, um, Here's the here's the here's the boring bit. These are my terms: um, fifty percent deposit up front. Uh, as soon as it's paid, then I can book you in. Um, have to sign the contract. Have uh, have to uh, send them the terms of business, and um, that's just the way I work. That's you know, it might sound a bit rigid, and perhaps some clients are a bit like, oh, I can't be bothered with that faff. But again, if that's kind of their attitude, then they're probably just not the right fit for my business. And that's okay. I think it's really important to just put out there the fact that it is okay, that you're not going to work with everybody. 
And I mean, there's no other business that you can go to and, um, you know, not sign up for their contract. I mean, if you go to a sports sporting event, which I know they're rare for, for in-person attendance nowadays, but you basically mm -hmm. sign a contract and you pay before you go in. You don't like yeah, it cool. doesn't you know, it doesn't start uh, until until you, well, it starts even if you don't pay, but it doesn't start for you until you pay. So same thing. I'm 100 percent in agreement. But there is a little bit sometimes that pressure out there, right, where uh, whoever you're working with, they want everything now, now, now. But the, but the agreement hasn't been signed. And um, certainly yeah. I've seen that on many, many um, uh, sizes of companies. I mean, really mm -hmm. everything from small to, to huge companies where, where that happens. So that's, that's great mm -hmm. advice. Uh, what other survival skills should we highlight here to, to wrap up the episode, Sarah? Ooh, um, I think one of the things that people struggle with is um, the fear of failure can hold people back. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of all quite closely tied in with self-doubt and imposter syndrome, which is a very commonly heard term in the freelance world. Um, we all struggle from time to time with that feeling of I'm not good enough. You know, I'm going to get discovered for like that 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 kind of little nagging voice on your shoulder like who does she think she is you know or um it, and it's also tied in with cost i think there's a lot of that negative self-talk around if you want to put your rates up for example say you know you wanted to charge 500 pounds for something you'd been charging 300 for before there's just that the fear of not um of people thinking that, what, what, you know, why does she think she's worth this much? Um, but then also the the fear of maybe undercharging for a job and then thinking, oh, God, you know, well, she's obviously not that good. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think certainly in terms of um, in terms of the fear of failure, it's it, it's one of those things. I think it was Churchill said perfectionism is the enemy of progress is that right something like something that something like that yeah and i think it, it's it's so true it's very easy to kind of think oh you know i haven't got all my ducks in a row it's not everything isn't quite perfect i'm not going to do it but actually half the time just getting started is enough And um, if you can make a start, then you can start to get feedback in test and measure sort of way. And you can use that feedback to refine and to improve the service or the product that you're offering. And yeah, I think it's it's something that's definitely a, a stumbling block for a lot of people that, you know, fear of um, fear of failure and self-doubt. Fear of failure. Have you found that Of course. And I mean, for sure. And the other thing that I think people need to remember is when it comes to failure, uh, there's just there's too many uh, balls in the air nowadays, especially for marketing um, mm -hmm. to, to even worry about it. And, and, and in my book, uh, Content Performance Culture, I talk about um, how do you uh, how do you have the next play mentality, you know, like a like an athlete. So um, you always have to run the next. I'm going to throw up the book content performance that online, um, like an athlete, you run a play, the play worked or didn't work, doesn't make any difference, you run another play, you always have to mm -hmm. run another play. And, um, and there's like it used to be right when I was a journalist, I, I wrote my article, I shipped my article, and that was it, right. But today, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things like you need an email subject line, you need this, you need social posts, you need the promotion. I mean, it's like it's a never ending cycle. 
So I think you can use the energy to, um, you know, to focus on, oh my goodness, I made a typo. I, you know, I'd like to hear your opinions. Uh, mistakes certainly happen. And one of my, my favorite yeah. stories is Cathay Pacific uh, that misspelled their own name on a plane. Um, and they took a, <laughs> right? And, and they, they took the, it's not, I don't think it's that difficult of a name, honestly. But um, so, so they just took a picture of the misspelling and just tweeted it and said, whoops, this one is going back to the shop. Um, but, you know, but I, re- but I remember 15 years ago or even 10 years ago, I mean, people would dread like all day long over a little typo. And I know if it's in print, it's a little bit different because now it is in print. But what are your opinions about that? I mean, if there's a mistake, just fix it and move on. Right. Or, or, or do you disagree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I do. I, I think, um, yeah, I think I, I, I've always been one to really, my kind of proofreading and editing background means that I've always been like a, a magnet for typos. I spot them everywhere I go. And a lot of my um, kind of premise on Facebook when I first started a Facebook page was um, sharing the kind of silly signs with um, mm-hmm. typos in and this kind of thing. But there were a lot of people out there who were like, Oh, it's disgraceful, you know, mistakes like this and and uh, failing uh, grasp of general grammar and this sort of thing. Whereas I actually just see it as an opportunity to create a learning post. So I used to do these things. I haven't so much recently because the books demanded a lot of my time and attention. But I used to do these confusables, which is um, things like advise and advice and practice and practice. And oh, different for you guys because you're the same with an S both mm-hmm. ways bad example but you know the kind of thing you mean you, you know the kind of thing I mean but we're, we're all human like I make more typos now since I need reading glasses for freaking everything <laughs> um and quite often I'm trying I'm awake in the morning and I'm trying to reply to a comment on LinkedIn and haven't got my glasses to hand and I might make a mistake but you know that's life I'm trying to be in a lot of different places at the same time and it's sort of inevitable just put your hand if you make a big mistake just put your hands up and just own it i think owning it is very powerful own it fix it move on um and and move forward there's just there's so i saw a typo the other day in an email cadence uh, email drip campaign i just fixed it move on right uh it it doesn't do anything uh to, to fret on it Fantastic. Of course, uh, if you're watching on the live stream, guys, if you are listening on the podcast, we are going live uh, a couple times a week on the show on LinkedIn, ctrap.online forward slash LinkedIn. Uh, if you are watching on the live stream, you, you saw the link to Sarah's book right there, ctrap.online forward slash Sarah uh, with an H and everything is lowercase. Uh, you can connect with her on Twitter, S-T-E copywriting. What does the E stand for? Editorial. Editorial. Sarah Townsend, so, so editorial. If I, had, um, if I had my time again, I would not call my business my own name. Mini tip right there. I didn't think 20 years ago I would still be doing this um, 20 years later. So, yeah, I would have chosen a different name, a cool why, name. Why, <laughs> why not your own name? Oh, I don't know. I just think there are so many creative names I could have come up with. Um, and I started off predominantly doing proofreading and editing and kind of grew into co- into copywriting as I sort of developed my confidence. It, it was what I had been doing in the marketing department in the business that I worked in. Um, but yeah, I just think it's just a bit, meh. I don't know. Plus, plus, I mean, plus you can still change it. I, you know, I have a, an LLC 
that has a name that's not published anywhere, right? I don't use it for anything unless I send people an invoice. So, um, but anyway, so connect with uh, Sarah on Twitter. Uh, the the book um, link certainly is an affiliate link. So uh, just FYI ships you right over to, there it is. You can also Google it if you like. Survival skills for freelancers. What? You can't miss it. It's very pink. You can't miss it. Very pink. Great. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, great to chat to you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Until next time. Move your content from happening to performing. That's what everybody wants nowadays in content and content marketing and marketing and all those related fields. Check out my new book, Content Performance Culture, the number one new release in the public relations category on Amazon.com when it came out. I hope you take a look. It's available as paperback and Kindle worldwide.